Glad, uh, glad you are here. Glad you are able to join us uh, this morning. And uh, we are, are starting a new sermon series uh, called The Path, as you can see, for those of you who can read. And I'm actually doing something I have uh, never done before. Um, I uh, kind of put this together based on a book uh, that Andy Stanley wrote called The Principles of the Path, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, which is rooted in Proverbs. So this is uh, something new for me. But let's before we get into it, why don't we pray and then we will uh, dive in. Uh, Lord, I just pray uh, for this series. God, I, I just pray that this speaks to people um, right where they're at. Um, God, this book uh, that I read, oh, it's probably about 10, 12 years old now, this book, and I'm going through again. God, it, it, it speaks to me. Um, God, help me to gain um, a better understanding. God, help us to gain a better understanding about our past and our direction, where we're going. God, and ultimately how uh, you want what's best for us, and you know what's best for us as the creator and sustainer of all things. We thank you. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to start out by looking at Proverbs 1. I'm going to give a, just a, a little bit of an overview of the book of Proverbs. And the truth is, is whenever I am going to start something new, I want to know a little bit kind of about it, right? If I'm going to go see a movie, which is what, that's like $20 now to go watch a movie, I kind of want to know what it's about. You know, I'll watch a trailer. Uh, I don't want to know everything. I don't want spoilers, but I, I want to know what I'm getting into. What type of movie is it? Uh, is it a sci-fi movie, action movie, uh, chick flick? What am I getting myself into? So I want to give you guys just a little bit of that this morning. Before we jump into Proverbs, I just want to tell you a, a little bit about it. So uh, Proverbs is, uh, it was written, uh, it was communicated to God's people, to ancient Israel, um, and really, when you think about people who communicate to God's people, you had three groups. You had the priests. Uh, they gave Israel the law, and they kind of helped mediate that law, what went on with it. You had the prophets. They gave direction and correction. Then you have the sages, and they gave wise counsel to the people of Israel. Now, the book of Proverbs and the surrounding books of Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon is books by the sages, and scholars call this wisdom literature or the wisdom books of the Bible, which is a great name for it because that's what it is. Now, here's the thing. Having intelligence means you know things, right? You can be very, very intelligent. You can be an expert in a field of medicine or history, and you know a lot of things. Having wisdom means you know what to do in various situations. And here's the thing. You can be very intelligent without being wise. And maybe some of you know some people like that. The wisdom literature of Scripture makes us wise. Now, if God created everything, sustains everything, is in control of everything, and he gave us instruction on how to live, we should probably take that pretty seriously, right? So that's what we have with wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs um, was written primarily by King Solomon, who is said to be one of the wisest people to ever live. The scripture says this. It says that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. 
sent by all the kings of the world who heard, who came to hear and listen to his wisdom. So in today's society, Solomon would have a, a PhD in literature. He would have a recording deal, and he'd also have a PhD in philosophy, zoology, orontology, herpetology, and theology, and a few other ologies I didn't have time to look up. Very intelligent guy. And when we look at the book of Proverbs, um, oh, I missed a slide, shoot. So when we look at the book of Proverbs, um, Proverbs was written, um, King Solomon died around 931 BC, so most of this book was written by then. Um, Solomon didn't write all the Proverbs, though. We, we believe he wrote chapters 1 through 24, but chapters 25 through 29 were compiled 200 years later by King Hezekiah. And we know this because Proverbs 25.1 says this, these are, uh, these are more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of King Hezekiah of Judah. Chapter 30 was written by a man named Agur, son of Jacob, and chapter 31 was written by King Lemuel. And we actually don't know who those guys were. We just know they're very wise. So, okay, that is enough background information for you, I'm going to guess. So let's uh, jump into Proverbs chapter 7. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's going to be on page number uh, 634 in your pew Bible. And here's what we know from Andy's story and from our own real life experience that when it comes to pass, the road you're on determines where you're going to end up. The road you're on determines where you're going to end up. And that's true. Let me give you an example. Now, if I were to head west and I were to get on 35 and I were to go south, I would eventually hit Kansas City, correct? 100% of the time. If I go west... I get on 35, and I head south, I will hit Kansas City every time. Whatever road you're on, whatever highway you're on, wherever path you're on will determine the direction you're going, will determine where you end up. Now, here's the thing. I can want to end up somewhere else. I can pack my skis, my jacket, my hat, and my gloves with every hope of going to Colorado to go skiing. But if I go west and then go south, I will end up in Kansas City and I will not end up in Colorado. Right? We know that's true. Here's the principle uh, that we get. The principle of the path is this. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. And as obvious as this is from the world of geography, when it comes to the rest of our lives, whether it be our family life, our financial life, our marriage life, our dating life, how we raise our kids, our physical fitness, or our professional life, the same principle applies. In every area of life, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Yeah, how many times have you had a conversation with someone who's describing how their life got shipwrecked or their marriage blew up or their kids grew up rebellious and resentful? How many times have you talked to students who didn't get the grades they were hoping for, didn't make the team, the troop, or the group they were hoping for, and as they're describing this failure, you thought to yourself, well, didn't you see that coming? It happens all the time. Let's take this principle one step further. It's so much a part of our life and planet Earth that it trumps or overcomes pretty much everything else besides God that you've got going on for you. You can have the best intentions and end up in the worst situations. And that can happen to you even if you're the smartest person on the planet, the best looking, I I know about that. 
or the biggest or the strongest, uh, it doesn't matter. This principle is true. No matter how strong-willed you are, how pleasant or kind, how much your mama loves you, or how much your daddy left you in his will. When it comes to every area of life, your direction, not your intentions, not your strengths, not your weaknesses, not your hopes, not your dreams, your direction will determine your destination. The path you take will determine where you end up. And let me show this from you from Scripture. So Solomon is writing to an audience 3,000 years ago, and we're going to go to Proverbs uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 6. So 6 and 7, Proverbs, uh, Solomon is speaking here, he says this. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. You can maybe already see what's coming here, can't you? Goes on, verses 8 and 9, says this. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night, and darkness. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to anticipate where the story is heading, do you? A young guy is cruising the streets at sunset. He's heading in a direction uh, to a specific woman's home. And we'll see in a second, he knew a few things. He knew, one, that this woman was married. Apparently, he knows her husband's out of town. He knows she's going to be prowling the street corner looking for anyone. Now, that alone should have stopped him in his tracks. The warning bell should have been going off. But it didn't. In fact, that's the very reason he's headed in her direction, right? If you were able to get inside this kid's head, the soundtrack that was playing was probably something like Party Like a Rock Star. Uh, Maybe it was the song Born to be Wild, if he's more of a classic rock guy. Either way, he's confident he's going to a night to remember. Maybe one to brag to his friends about in PE class the next day. But meanwhile, back at the window, Solomon is watching this young man, and there's a soundtrack playing in his mind, and it's the music from the movie Jaws. Why? Because there's a marked contrast between what this kid is expecting to experience and what Solomon knew about his future. Because Solomon, being an older, wiser man, understood from experience where this path would lead. The adolescent, he was preoccupied with what he believed would be an exciting event, a single night of passion, a night disconnected from every other event in his life. But Solomon knew better. This night was not an isolated event, disconnected from all other events in this young man's life. In fact, this night was a step down a path. A path like all paths, they lead somewhere. This particular path had a predictable destination. But you don't need to be the wisest man in the world to know that. You could predict this outcome probably, this encounter, just from your own experience or someone that you knew. And it's funny how that works. What's so obvious to us often escapes what's happening to the person. The story continues in verses uh, 10 through 12. It says this. And behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. 
goes on, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. You can hear the music now. It's now switched to Beethoven's ninth, right? Dun, 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 dun. You hear fate knocking at this young man's door. Continues in verses 13 through 15. It says this. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Now we need to do a little cultural work. What is, what is this getting at? Well, it's saying this. She's saying, I have fellowship offerings at home. I, I paid those. She's essentially saying, I got money. Look, I'm not, I'm not a, a hooker or a prostitute. I got money. I, that's not what I want. I want you. And she also is saying, she says, um, I had to offer sacrifices. She's saying, I've gone to the temple. I've offered my sacrifices for my sin. Essentially, I've gone and I've emptied out my sin bucket. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm ready to dirty it back up again. And this young guy's thinking, if only I could tell my friends. At that point, he's pumped up his soundtrack to 10. He's pinched himself to make sure this isn't a dream. And even if Solomon called down the, to, the, to him from the window and warned him, this kid, um, he wouldn't have heard over what he hears next from this woman. It says in 16 through 18, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from uh, Egypt, Egyptian linen, I perfume my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves of love. She's saying, I got everything ready for you. And just in case he was wondering, he, she says this in 19 through 20, for my husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Well, that pretty much clinches it right there. Not only did he not have to worry about the husband coming home, but he could stay for breakfast. He could watch a little TV. Heck, he could stay for the weekend. This just kept on getting better and better and better in his perspective. Uh, but Solomon saw this situation in an entirely different light. Listen to what he says in 21 and 22. He says this. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast. Do you catch that? Solomon's saying he's like an ox going to the slaughter, a stag who's caught fast. To the casual observer, to this young man, this looks like a great event. But to Solomon, he says, danger, warning, bad things are going to happen. He gets creative in his language. He uses another analogy of an animal. And, and later on, he says this. He says, with much a seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. Um, Sorry, we got that twice. Verse 23, till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Solomon's saying this kid is like a clueless bird in a snare. From his vantage point, Solomon knows that this young man is throwing away his life, his future. Of course, if this young man were to read Solomon's mind, he would have shouted back, you sound just like my dad. Besides, you're an old man. What do you know about passion anyways? This isn't just a date. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. I'm not an ox, a deer, or a bird. Mind your own 
business. But at this point, Solomon's narrative turns the corner and he addresses uh, the broader audience and he says this in 24 and 25. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to my words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. There's our word, paths. This was a path, not an event. Pay attention to the next observation in 26. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are like a mighty throng. It's not a few, many. Solomon is debunking the notion that this is anything unique, what this kid is experiencing. It's not unique. This is a well-worn path. A path that Solomon knows leads to death, despite what this naive kid may have wanted to argue. If Solomon could have called a timeout in this situation and spoken to this kid, got his undivided attention, he might have said something like this. Listen, buddy, I want to break it to you, but there's nothing unique or special or rare about this situation. You may have never felt this way before, but a lot of people have. And if I were to gather them together and share their stories, you would think twice. You're a part of a crowd, a herd, a flock. There's nothing new here. And the outcome is all too predictable. She's done more than capture your imagination. She's writing a script for your future. You're a dead man walking. To drive home this point even more, Solomon says in 27, her house is a way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Another version I like better, it says her house is a way, or is a highway to Sheol. Sheol is the grave. And it is a highway. It's a five-lane highway with an express lane on the side. There's nothing new about this, nothing unique. This is just another young man who has chosen a path that will take him precisely where he doesn't plan to be. There's a disconnect going on for this young man. And why is that? The disconnect in Solomon's scenario is easy for us to see. On the outside, a young man who wanted to be, uh, live relationally richer chooses a path that would ultimately lead to undermined relationships and an, and an undermined future. A young man who yearned for, for something, for freedom, uh, chose something would take away his independence. A young man who wanted something good chose something not good. A young man who wanted independence, he chose something that would strip him of his independence. There is a disconnect going on for this young man. Why is he choosing this path? Well, Solomon saw it from his window. And I've seen similar things in, in my own experience. And you may be of, well, I, let, let's talk here for a minute. We all have the propensity of choosing paths that lead us where we don't want to go. In a few weeks, I'm going to uh, tell you why I think this apparent lapse in, in reason happens. But for now, I want to focus on this dynamic. And as a pastor, I have conversations with people all the time where people are going down a path that they don't want to go down and they continue on. I hear conversations like this. A single woman says, I want to get married someday to a nice Christian man who has his stuff together, has a good job, and she dates anyone who will give her the time of day. A single guy says, I want a great sex life once I get married, but he sleeps with every girl he dates, creating all this emotional baggage for his future wife. A married woman says, I want to have a great relationship with my husband, but she neglects her husband and only pays attention to the kids. 
A husband says, when I grow up, I want my kids to respect me, but then treats them harshly, doesn't show them love, and doesn't spend any time with them. A young Christian says, I want to develop a lasting intimacy with God, but he wakes up every morning and watches TV and never reads his Bible. A working man says, I want to grow old and invest my later years in my children, but neglects his health. An average guy says, I want to get thin and lose weight, and has donuts for, morning, for breakfast every morning. A couple says, we'd like our children to develop a deep-rooted intimacy with God and have good friendships, but they don't take their children to church. Instead, they go to the lake, they watch sports, they sleep in. A newlywed couple says, I want to be financially secure, but they leverage their assets and go deep into debt. Or a high school freshman says, I want to get into any college I want to. I'm going to have a good GPA, but neglects his studies. The list could go on and on. And the people my list represents, they have legitimate goals. They oftentimes even have every good intention of reaching them. But like the naive young man in Solomon's story, the path they choose eventually bring them to a destination and a place they don't want to be. And this isn't, it's not rocket science. We shouldn't need someone to connect the dots. If your goal, gentlemen, is to drop two pant sizes, don't eat fast food every day for lunch. If you desire to remain space, faithful to your spouse, don't go to online chat rooms. Don't look at pornography. Don't continue walking in that uh, relationship with someone of the opposite sex at work that's going a bad direction. Those aren't pastimes. Those are pathways. And they lead somewhere. As I've already said, it's much easier for us to see this dynamic in others. And you probably have people rolling through your mind right now saying, boy, I wish they were at church today. And you have, you're connecting faces to names. But before we start doing that, let me take a minute and let's think about this in our own life. I want to ask you this. Are there disconnects in your own life? Is there a disconnect between where you're going and where you want to be? Are there discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're doing with your life. Is there alignment between your intentions and your direction? Now, if you've ever gotten lost while driving pre-GPS like I have, what do you have to do? You've got to backtrack, right? You've got to go back to where you were and, and find your, your bearings from there. And you waste a few hours, maybe a few minutes at best, but here's the thing. When you get lost in life, there is no backtracking. There's not. When you get lost in life, you don't waste minutes or hours. You waste years or an entire season of life. Choosing the wrong path in life will cost you precious years. It will. Nobody wants to wake up in their 50s and wish they'd taken a different path in their 30s. No one wants to arrive at the end of a marriage and wish they'd taken a different path during their dating years. Think about it. You only get to be in your 20s once. You only get to be a senior in high school once. You only get one first marriage. The path that we choose at these critical junctions, these decisions, doesn't just determine our destination for a year, but for the following season of life. The principle of the path, by the way, is operating in every area of your life, in every minute, in every day, whether you believe it or not. You're currently on a financial path. Every one of you. 
of some kind. You're on a relational path. You're continuing down a moral path, an ethical path, an entertainment path, and each of those paths has a destination. Which raises the question again, why would a guy, like the guy in Solomon's story, continue to walk down a path that he's going on? How come he doesn't see it coming? The answer is he doesn't think it's a path. He thinks it's a one-time event, disconnected from everything else. He doesn't see it's a series of steps leading somewhere. When the truth is, is God says our life is about the destination, it's not about the immediate, but the ultimate. You can't trump the principle of the path in your life with good intentions. Your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. Now, some of you have been brokenhearted at times in your life over your own uh, decisions and choices that you've made. And oftentimes, as a pastor, I hear, why would God let this happen to me? And the answer is, he didn't. Our choices, our decisions, every time we take a different fork in the road, there's outcomes of those. Somehow in God's economy of being sovereign over all things, we still have free choice and free will to make the decisions in our lives, and those decisions have consequences. Which leads me to a couple questions I want to ask you this morning as we wrap up. First one is this. What direction are you headed in today? Morally. Relationally with your family, your coworkers, your friends, financially. What direction are you headed in? I, I call those the big three. Those are the biggies. You could probe other areas of your life, and I can't answer them for you. Only you can. You might want to address other areas as well, but I encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, to ask these questions. What direction am I headed in today? If you're married, get together with your spouse. What direction are we headed in? Morally, relationally, with our kids, financially. Second question I want to ask is this. How do we learn to choose the right path? If we're always making these choices that are bringing us down a path, how do we choose the right path? If it's important, number one is we need to get wisdom. That's what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. We're going to get wisdom from the book of Proverbs. As I said, God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He orders the universe. He knows how things work. He's given us wisdom to live by in the Bible, and especially in wisdom literature like Proverbs. My challenge for you is to get and increase your wisdom quotient. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. One for every day of the month. My challenge for you is I want you to read a chapter from the book of Proverbs every single day for the next 31 days. We're talking five to seven minutes. If you want to go deeper, read that, that chapter and take some time to journal. Ask yourself questions. Uh, uh, write down what you're thinking, what it's speaking to you. By the way, Billy Graham did this. He would do his Bible reading and read a chapter from the book of Proverbs every day. My pastor, Bob Merritt, growing up, he did this. Uh, same thing. He was one of the wisest men I ever knew. The second thing is if you want to learn to choose the right path uh, is join Sunday school or a small group. And you may be saying, well, why? <laughs> why would I do that? Why would I join Sunday school or a small group? Here's the thing. What if this guy in the story, the person looking down from the window, wasn't Solomon, some guy he didn't know? What if it was a good Christian friend 
who was looking down from the window and saw him and ran down the stairs and said, what are you doing? You don't want to do that. That's a bad path. When we uh, get together in groups as Christians and we study the Bible together and we go deep in getting wisdom, we're building relationships at the same time. We're building godly friendships, people to speak wisdom into our lives, to speak the truth of God's word into our lives. So getting in Sunday school does it. You build those friendships, people that will speak the truth into your life. We have just a couple weeks left and we're going to be done. Just try it. Give it a shot. You can start a small group too. If you want to have a group that meets in your home, I'm fine with that. I can kind of coach you on that as well. Third is this, lastly, make choices based on the long term, not on the short term. If we see our life as just individual events, we're not making those long-term decisions. Look at your life as the way God sees your life. It is a series of steps leading down a path, not a bunch of unrelated events. Think about what happens if you eat that brownie every day, right? What's the outcome of that? Or if every month you balance your checkbook, you save 10% of your money, and you give 10% to church, what does your life look like years down the road of doing that? If you're married, what does your life look like if you and your spouse get up every morning and you pray together and you say a couple encouraging words to each other before you go your separate ways? What does your marriage look like down that path? Look to the long term, not to the short term. Make choices based on what will develop if you do something over a long period of time because that's the path you're on. Don't just look at the one-time decision. Look at the future. I want you to say this with me just to help you uh, uh, remember. Every decision I make is a new fork in the road. Every decision I make is a new fork in the road. Every decision I make takes me down a new path. Lord, help me to choose the right path. You can say that every day. You can pray that every day when you get up, when you go to bed. Every decision we make matters. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I pray as a church that you help us to understand the principle of the path, the truth that our direction, not our intentions, our direction determines our destination. This affects every area of life, God. Our our financial direction is going to determine the destination where we end up financially. Our relational direction is going to determine the destination that we end up relationally. Our our direction of our marriage is going to determine the destination of our marriage. The same thing is true of our relationship with you, God. What path are we on with our relationship with you, Lord Jesus? God, help us to see our life not as just a series of unrelated, uncorrelated events, but as a path we are on where our decisions matter. They have an impact on our future. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.